Welcome back to another episode of Wrestling With Theology. This is episode number 108, and we are digging deeper into, finally, the book of Psalms. And we will be in Psalms for a long time, because Psalms is a long book, and some of the Psalms are rather long and intricate. But, as always, I am Pastor Doug Minton, here as your guide to bring you through as we dig deeper into God's Word. So today we're going to look at the first three psalms, as I have broken out the book of Psalms to about 30 verse chunks. So we're going to take the first three today. first one is very familiar because it is the first psalm. So when we start thinking about the psalms, a lot of times after maybe the 23rd psalm and Psalm 119, we think of Psalm 1 as the next one. So Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So far, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who does what? And this is all negative statements. This is all things that the blessed man does not do. He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not stand in the way of sinners. He does not sit in the seat of scoffers. This is one of the great problems that we have as we go through the Old Testament, especially in the history section, as we look to the people that God has ruling over his kingdom. We think about whom walks not in the counsel of the wicked. And the first person that comes to my mind is Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, the king who divided the kingdom because he refused to listen to the godly counsel, but took the wicked counsel of his buddies and what he should do with Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And in the end, he lost more than half of his kingdom to Jeroboam. Nor stands in the way of sinners. This is not one where you're standing trying to prevent them from sinning. That is a good thing. But this is standing in the way, helping them along, or tagging along behind to help them get further along. Nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Scoffers are those who ridicule everything. And we've had that over the last few months, especially with this election business as to whether there was voter fraud, whether it was this or that, or what have you. Scoffers on every side because they can't believe that there's somebody else who doesn't believe the way they do and doesn't think the way they do. But that's why God made us all different, right? So that we could have different ideas, different thoughts, different ways of doing things. But the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The blessed man is one who digs deeper into the scriptures. Not just in these monthly 
installments that we do on Wrestling With Theology, but daily being immersed in the Word. Having that mind digging into what does this mean. That is what the blessed man does. And what is his reward? He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. This is the great picture at the end of Revelation, where you see the holy city of Jerusalem that is come, and in the midst of it is the tree of life, the tree that we have been barred from on both sides of the river, yielding its fruit every month, and its leaves are for the healing of the nations. That is the blessed man. The wicked are more like chaff that gets separated out from the wheat and get bl gets blown by the wind wherever the wind wants to go. The wicked have no control over things. They are blown about by their wickedness. Therefore, the psalm says in verse 5, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Because they don't know the way. They go wherever the way the wind blows. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. This is a great opening to the psalms. That this is what a man who is steeped in the scriptures and Psalms is steeped in the scriptures, as we'll see as we go through this over the course of the next probably couple of years. But there is so much in Psalms, because the book of Psalms itself was the hymnal of the Old Testament, the hymnal of the New Testament church, but also it goes through the entire spectrum of human emotion, from rejoicing to sorrow, to lament, to anger, to rage. All of these things are there. And it also helps us to understand how we may helpfully and faithfully express these things. So now we move on into Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is another one of them that we're pretty sure was penned by David, but it is not said and a superscription, as there is no superscription on this one. But this is also a very uh, familiar psalm to us, especially those of us who have a liturgical background for our church. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So far, Psalm 2. 
The rhetorical question at the beginning, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Because that's what nations do. That's what people do. Everything that is done is done out of their own sinful desires. So the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, against his Messiah, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. This is one of the biggest problems with people who look at Christianity in the idea of a law-based religion, because it isn't. But Christianity is seen as a list of do's and don'ts, like every other religion. And Christianity is a little bit more restrictive in what is allowed and more expansive on the side of what is not allowed. So they say, let us burst their bonds and let us cast away their cords from us. Let us just throw off this oppression because we want to do things our way. How does God react? He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. There's the old line that if you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. It's exactly what the kings of the earth have done. The nations as they are raging against him and against Jesus. That he laughs at them because their plans are going to come to nothing. And so he says that I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Do you want to know where God is? God is in his house. On his holy hill, Mount Zion, the temple mount. That is where you could find him in the Old Testament before Jerusalem was destroyed. Where do you find him now? Wherever his word is proclaimed and the gifts that he gives through the sacraments are administered. That is where you find God now. That is his holy hill. That is his Zion now. And so he says to each of us, as he said to his anointed ones throughout the scriptures, culminating up into Jesus, the ultimate Messiah, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. We talk of Jesus, especially from John 3.16, as the only begotten Son of God. That He is the one who has begotten, has been, been, who is begotten by God. When does this happen? Way back in eternity past. Well before God even invents time, this happens. But to each of the other ones, the types, the figures of Jesus the other anointed ones throughout Scripture, there is that point in time to say, Today I have begotten you. He's also said that to you in your baptism. Today I have begotten you. Today you have become my beloved son, my beloved daughter. And what does he say? Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. That was the promise to Abram, that God was going to make the nations his heritage. He was going to be the father of a multitude of nations. Not necessarily biologically, but definitely spiritually and in the faith, 
He is the Father of many nations, and the ends of the earth your possession. Because, after all, all the ends of the earth are God's possession to do with as he pleases. And he goes on to end this psalm with a couple of warnings for the kings of the earth, the ones who want to establish themselves against him. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. This is the great thing with God, is that there is fear and trembling involved because he is an all-holy God and we are not holy people. And so then he goes on to say, Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. The Son, the Son. Kiss him, love him, and you will not perish. As he says, Come unto me. As he says, I have come to give them life, and that more abundantly that we may not ever perish. Because God wants no one to perish, but he wants all to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants all to take refuge in the Son through whom he has promised salvation. So now we move on into Psalm 3. Psalm 3 is the first of the Psalms with a superscription. A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. The superscriptions give us a lot of information, depending on what they say. It may be to the choir master for a particular tune. It tells us who wrote it many times. And in cases like this, it tells us exactly when he wrote it. So David is writing these words as he is fleeing from Absalom, who has taken over the kingdom. So Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for God in him. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I laid down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. So far, Psalm 3. So this is a lamentable psalm as David is seeing the beginnings of the The fallout from his sin with Bathsheba. O Lord, how many are my foes? How many are saying that there is no salvation for him and God? That now somebody new has come along. That there is nothing left from God for him. But does David despair in this? No, he doesn't. In fact, he is very faithful and concerned with the Lord. But he says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. The Lord is still his shield, even though he is fleeing from his son. The Lord is still his glory, 
even though his glory of being king has been taken away. And then the lifter of my head. This is a complex image because it comes both ways. You have this coming back to us from Genesis chapter 40, where Joseph is giving the dreams and interpreting the dreams of Pharaoh's baker and cupbearer. And both of them have their head lifted, one to honor, one to being executed. The, lift, the lifting up of the head signifies that judgment has come. And it's either going to be a rest restoration of his former glory, or it's going to be his complete undoing and destruction. All of that is in God's hands. And so he says, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. How does he answer? Well, David lay down and slept. He woke again, for the Lord sustained him. Because the Lord still sustains him, and because the Lord still sustains you and me, we can lay down and sleep. We can rise up in the morning, knowing that God has sustained us, and he will always sustain us. And that is a time for rejoicing. So we don't have to be afraid of all the multitudes of people who come up against us. We know that we are the people of God. So we can say with David in verse 7, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. The idea here and in a lot of the Psalms that we will have of David in his anger and rage. We'll talk about the breaking of teeth. Because if you don't have teeth, you can't tear into meat. So now his enemies, if their teeth are broken, they can't tear into him and try to devour him anymore because they don't have teeth. And so he says at the end, which is echoed again, in the song that's sung in Revelation chapter 4. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. We have this great image that even in the midst of his fleeing from his usurping son, his getting his comeuppance from his sins against Bathsheba and Uriah and the Lord, salvation still belongs to the Lord. The Lord is still blessing his people. This is the great time of redemption. This is the great promise that we have that when we come to our Lord saying, save me, forgive me of my sins, that we have that salvation. We have that forgiveness because he has blessed us, because he has sent his son, not usurping our authority, not usurping our place, but taking it so that we might rejoice with him when he shares his place with us. All right, we've covered the first three Psalms this week. Next week, we go back to Pro Wrestling America. 
But then we're into the confessional corner again, continuing on as we are trudging through Psalms on digging deeper in the confessional corner. We are trudging through the fourth article of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. I encourage you to be here for all of those, plus the moment's meditation, the Sunday sermons, everything that goes on with wrestling with theology, because this is how we wrestle. We wrestle by getting deeper into the Word, by having it nourish our lives so that we might rejoice in Him as we wrestle with theology every day. Amen.